Hey friends, are you struggling with an addiction that no one knows about? Our guest today says that one in four Americans are, it's either them or somebody that they know who's struggling with addiction, and it's time to talk about it so that you can find healing. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 317, Randy Mortensen, and removing the stigma of addiction. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. We try to figure out what's it like walking with God in the 21st century because, hey, that's all we got, right? That's your experience. It's my experience. And I believe God is still active and working in the lives of people. I hope you do too. And if you don't, maybe by the end of this conversation, you will. Friends, uh, if you enjoy the conversation, if you're, if you're encouraged, would you do me a favor? Just let a friend know and ask them to listen to it as well. Text it to them. Uh, if you want, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button, and financially support the show as well. Thank you to those of you who do that. It does help us tremendously. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. I'm really excited to talk to him because I've the little bits of his story that I've heard are uh, really, really amazing. So I can't wait to hear more about them. He's the host of the Courageous Recovery Podcast. He's a published author and a talent management for uh, professionals um, that, you know, for those who have led their life has led them down a path of compulsive and destructive behaviors. I think probably because he has some experience in that. Our guest is Randy Mortensen. Randy, welcome to Halfway There. It's great to be here, and those comp- compulsive and destructive behaviors are too prevalent in today's world. They, they are, and uh, and like I said, yeah, you probably you have experience with that, and you're going to share some of that with us today, no doubt. Um, yeah, it is kind of interesting, and I don't know that uh, in society that we're getting it's getting easier to avoid those things as as you know media and these little amazing little boxes in our pockets. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we carry around, they get, they get more and more accessible, don't they? Right. Yeah. It, it's that that's one of the surprises for many uh, in the workplace community, as well as in the faith community, how, how pornography and sex addiction has grown so much in the last five to seven years. And like you said, it's just the access to the material is so easy. Uh, it's not, it's not the magazine at the gas station anymore, otherwise known as a Playboy uh, in the old days, right? So, man, yeah. back back in the day, it was really tough. Like you had to have a friend who had something like that, or whose dad had something like that. You know, it was very, very different kind of a world, and you had to actually, or or I had some friends who would like go and buy them themselves, and that was like its, its own kind of little <laughs> shame walk, right? There, there was sure. something like, and this you, we don't have that anymore. It's very interesting. Anyway, okay, well, we'll, we'll talk about that, and I'd be interested <laughs> to hear your perspective on all of it, so we'll we'll dive in, but I gave a little brief, um, you know, introduction. Certainly tell us about your podcast and kind of where God has you right now. Well, I, I'm, I'm blessed to do a good amount of public speaking around the world. And the way that I, I normally like to open is I just say, you know what, we all have memories, some some positive, some not so much. The two that, that really stand out for me in the not so much category are, uh, number one was, it was, I was age 13 in small town, Minnesota. We were playing pool at a friend's house down in the basement. To this day, I don't know how I did it, but somehow I snuck a beer out of out of my buddy's dad's uh, bar refrigerator and opened it up, guzzled it down. To this day, I don't know whether I liked the taste of it or how it made me feel, but it was really the exhilaration of not being caught that set me off into you know a couple of decades of, of some poor choices. So that's number one. The second memory for me is um, we were at our place on, on the beach and I now live in Florida. I have a different meaning for beach than when we were living in the Midwest, but we were in Northwest <laughs> Iowa at, at the beach on the river. Oh, yeah. And, um, we were there, my five-year-old son, we were getting ready to wrap up. And all of a sudden my five-year-old son just started vomiting this green stuff. And, and he, he was just in excruciating pain and he was just screaming out. I won't say it's allowed into the microphone as I normally would, 
but he was saying, dad, dad, help me. And so we rushed him to the emergency room and they, they did the diagnosis and they said, well, he needs to have an emergency appendectomy. And so it was like, okay, we weren't expecting that for the Sunday afternoon, but um, as the nurses were preparing him, they, they determined that his electrolytes were out of balance. So they had to get that somewhat normalized. And, and so as they were doing the prep work, my, my wife, number two, and I had flip-flops and our beach clothes on. So I said, Hey, would it be okay if I ran home to get some different clothes, if we're going to be here for a while? And I said, sure. The nurses said, sure, that's not a problem. So as, as I'm pulling into the driveway of our house, this is before cell phones. Cell phones were just about to come out. But as, as I was pulling into my driveway, our neighbor lady friend came running over and she said, you need to get back to the hospital right away. And I said, why? And she said, something's wrong with Jay. So I drove probably way too fast back to the hospital. And as I'm, as I'm, I'm walking into the emergency room. My wife came running at me, screaming and crying. She said, something's wrong with, with Jay. Well, what we later found out was is that the emergency room physician who was in charge had worked 36 hours straight, and he hadn't slept at all. And what we couldn't ever prove, but there was a lot of evidence to say that, that this was true, he was high on crack cocaine. And so as they were doing the prep work, he did the mathematics for um, uh, on, on the bed sheet. And instead of giving him two milliequivalents of potassium, he said, we need to give him 20 milliequivalents of potassium. The two RNs in the room said, no way, we're not doing it. He said, here, he, he didn't say darn it. He used another D word. I'll do it myself. Uh-huh. And that... For those people listening to this may know that potassium is what veterinarians use to put animals down. So that Sunday afternoon in Northwest Iowa, that emergency room physician overdosed and killed my five-year-old son. So, So when you talk about memories... Those two memories are what really were life-changing for me. The other thing that I'll add to the story, Eric, is, is, is six months into my banking career, um, my dad was a very successful farmer, businessman, and he wanted me to go into the banking industry, so I did, and we were going to buy a bank. Six months into my banking career, my 45-year-old dad died of a massive heart attack, massive stroke after open heart surgery. So those three things in my life, you know, I was just on stage a month or so ago where, where the topic was forgiveness. And I was, I was so angry at God in, in those two situations. First, my dad, 12 years later, it's my son. And it's like, really? Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't a Christ follower. I was a church attender. Uh, wasn't a Christ follower. My drinking was just out of control. My business life was always very successful, but but my personal choices were were horrible. So I'll, I'll give you that that just planting a couple of seeds there. For okay, yeah, for maybe some some foreshadowing. Wow, that's got to be so. Having just had a son in the hospital, like I'm hearing that story going, oh my gosh, I know, like, I know, I know. Okay, that's not. Oh, I can't, I can't imagine, man. I can't, I can't imagine. So you think the doctor was was high, and that was what, right? Yeah, yeah. He, oh, he, okay. he was, and 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 we actually went to went through a lawsuit. He actually lost his license in Iowa, but then he was able to restore it in in North Dakota. But then there was another incident. <clears throat> where there was proof that he was high on cocaine basically. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, those experiences, I mean, those are really like, like you said, memories, but those are the ones that really, those are big life events. Okay. So I'm curious, did you grow up? Did you, I forget you grew up in Iowa did we, or you were just I in did, Iowa. I was actually born in, <clears throat> in Lamar's Iowa. 
Okay. Uh, the ice cream, the ice cream capital of the world, where Wells Blue Bunny yeah. ice cream is made. Good and stuff. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then I did mostly grow up in small town Minnesota. Um, so okay. born That's in right. Iowa, grew up in Minnesota. Yes. That's right. I knew we had an Iowa connection because I grew up in Des Moines. But I can't right. remember if you had grown grown up there or not, and I, that's why because you didn't. So, um, so most mostly in in Minnesota, and it sounds like was it a was it a Christian family or was it kind of you said you were kind of church attenders, but not really. You were. <laughs> no, we were as a family. I had I had I had rock star mom, um, rock star parents. Uh, I really did. My mom okay. was a stay at home mom. I'm the oldest of three. And my dad was, you know, I, from a young age, he played baseball and then he played fast pitch softball. And then dad was always there for, for me. So that was another question I had for God was, okay, God, I never saw my dad drunk. You know, many people with addictions, it was brought about by historical drug use or booze or whatever in the family not at all my grandparents my grandparents my mortensen grandparents never touched a drop of alcohol in their life so it's kind of like really mm -hmm. god what did i do wrong so we would i i would i would sit in a lutheran church every sunday of my life growing up i was head acolyte sang in the choir as a senior in high school i actually served on the church board so we were church attenders, but my testimony is I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm, okay. What does that mean? Well, I, I didn't know what it was to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I was, I was a check the box Sunday morning kind of guy. And even through the mm. insanity of my drinking, um, you know, what I say is I went to, to college for three reasons play baseball, drink beer, and chase women. <laughs> That's why I went to college. Not, not a good idea, young, young men and women uh, listening to this. Sadly, that was my whole purpose. And um, so even, even during that insanity, when I was in college, I would still go to, Lutheran, go to a Lutheran church every Sunday morning. So, so I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, and, and it wasn't until many years later that, you know, I actually had the opportunity to have a mentor in Omaha, Nebraska, who, who we were, we were in the Amway business together. And we, we had other businesses that I was very successful at. But the faith journey for me was that Wednesday, I was sitting in my office in Omaha. And I don't know what it was, I now know is the Holy Spirit just working in me. But I picked up the phone and, and called my friend, Ron, and I said, Ron, there's something about you. I don't know you very well, but I've seen how you do business. I've seen how you treat your wife, how you interact with your five boys. Someday I want to talk to you about that. And he said, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, really? We were building a very fast growing business at that time. And so I had three appointments in the morning, three in the afternoon. And so he said, no, Randy, he said, this is very important. Uh, and, and I said, no, Ron, I want to talk. And he said, see what, see what your calendar is for this afternoon. And so I get up out of my desk. My assistant, Cindy, had my Franklin planner in that era. Oh, yeah. And so she said, oh, I was just coming to see you. I said, for what? And she said, all three of your afternoon appointments have canceled in the last 20 minutes. No. <laughs> and, wow. and so I go back and pick up the phone. It was a desk phone on hold. And I said, Ryan, you're not going to. And he cut me off. He said, what time are you coming over? And, said, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he was very persuasive. He said, and bring your wife. And so we went to his house in Lincoln. My wife's name is Pat. His wife's name is Pat. Is Pat. And, and we sat at their kitchen table for four hours that afternoon. He read out of the same Bible I had owned my entire life, but never read it. And he, he just was, was just so connecting for us. I grew up Lutheran. My wife grew up Catholic. 
And, and so at the end of the four hours, he said, well, let's, let's go in the living room and pray. And by the way, he had five boys. They came home from school. They never once interrupted us, which was just very uncustomary for them. And yeah. so, so he said, well, let's go in the living room and pray. And I looked at him and I said, hold it. There's no priest. There's no pastor here. Who's going to pray. <laughs> right. And, 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 and so he didn't laugh or ridicule me for my comment, but we didn't pray the prayer. I now thought he was thinking we might that afternoon, but 10 days later, we're at an Amway conference in Los Angeles. We're at the Marriott Ballroom uh, at the Orange County Airport, and Cliff Mentor, a multimillionaire in the Amway way of doing things, Sunday morning was a worship service, and at the end of that worship service, Clint says, ladies and gentlemen, if you're sitting here this morning and you've heard or you're sensing that today, heard something or you're sensing that today's the day that you come forward and admit your sins, your shortcomings, and, and that you believe that there is a power greater than yourself that, that can have an impact on your life and you want to make a commitment to change, come forward. Well, Lutheran churches, I never saw in my altar call, right? Right. And so I thought, well, hold it. I don't, do I really want to do this? And then I was on the aisle. My wife was right next to me. And I look, I thought, she's not going to go. I look over at her. She's got tears just streaming down her cheek. She was going to go. She didn't think Prodigy or Randy was going to go. So that was in March of 1992 when we had radical, radical, radical life change. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's a dramatic story, right? Like, that's like you just got, it was kind of always there, but then just kind of got a hold of you. Right. All of a sudden, because you noticed, like, were, were you already, like, you were noticing this about your mentor, but were you already kind of seeking, do you think? Do you think you were aware of what was, you just weren't? I had no hint in the end. Um, I had been a leader in Stephen Ministries, so I was very active in our very conservative Lutheran Church, a Missouri Senate Lutheran what? Church. Um, yeah. And and so I had I had never heard of you know what it was to pray to accept Christ. I had not that had not crossed my path at all. But but what I like to say, Eric, is it's all about community. Because there's unity mm -hmm. in community, right? And and God used Ron, who, interestingly enough, four or five years after he had this influence, he died of cancer in in his in his oh, mid man. mid mid or early fifties. I don't remember exactly, you know. So the impact that 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 man, that friend, that business associate of ours had, I've never forgotten. It was life changing for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things I take from that. Number one is I think it's easy for us to assume that everybody at church has the same understanding and same idea as we do. That's clearly not the case, right? That's just not, the, not what happens. Uh, so be mindful of that. And the other one is you don't know the impact that you can have with a little bit of boldness, right? right. With just a right. little bit. Now listen to the Holy Spirit. Obviously I think your, your mentor was listening to the Holy Spirit. No question. But, but don't be afraid to do that, right, friends? Because you never, ever know. I think Randy's story is a perfect example of that. Okay, so you're at the Amway event, and your wife's like, I don't I don't know if Randy's going to go. But did you guys end up going down? Did you go down and do the whole thing with the okay. – Yeah, both of us went forward, and they did a great job of follow-up because then they, they took us to a room and, <clears throat> and assigned another couple to us. They said, okay, you're going to have a lot of questions. And then they, they, they came up with a pathway for us to follow. And, and interestingly enough, we go back home to, to Omaha and we were friends with, with the lead pastors, the lead pastor and some of the, some of the other pastors on staff. And so I pulled him aside and I said, okay, we were just at this conference and now we're born again believers and, and, you know, why, why, why doesn't that ever get mentioned in this church? And the senior pastor 
said, oh, all of myself, my family, all of us pastors, we've all prayed to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I said, why don't you ever talk about that? Well, it's not part of our doctrine. So, so right. we're not we're we're not allowed to to talk about that. But we're all born again believers. So welcome to the welcome to the family. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Really interesting. Really interesting. Okay. So did you really go, dude? What's up with that? I guess. Why Why would you do that? Uh, it's just a, it's a different way. I I find there there can be a very different way of approaching that event right in but you had to give up like you had to you had to surrender to the lord right in that in those moments well Um, there's some other ugliness to this too because i talked about the you know part of the death of my dad and my son what i haven't said before is i i married the high school homecoming queen and because of my drinking and poor choices um we ended up getting divorced a couple, two and a half years into our marriage because of my poor choices. And then I got married to this great woman who had a couple of children from a prior marriage. And then she was the mom that I referenced of my five-year-old son who was overdosed and killed. We subsequently had another child and there's more of a God story to that even, but 95% of the parents who lose a child end up divorced. Yeah. Sadly, I'm part of that statistic. So so this is wife number three for me, right? And, okay. right? and my forthcoming book is titled God Took Me to Las Vegas to Get Sober. Right. And so yeah. I met I met wife number three, who we were about to celebrate 33 years of marriage. It's not a coincidence I've been sober 32. Um, but we were, we were in Omaha and, and she went on to become just this biblical genius. So she used to ask me some Bible questions and she went into BSF Bible study fellowship. She was just fully devoted. So she became, she became so well informed and then God really had a plan for us because I then as we relocated to Minneapolis, to the Twin Cities, because of an acquisition of our fast-growing company, I became a vice president of what today is a $60 billion gas and electric company in wow. Minneapolis. Excel Energy, you would know, in Colorado. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was a VP of that and that entity. And so in the midst of that, there was this fast-growing church in Chicago called Willow Creek that that. I, I would go across the country teaching one of their one of their evangelism courses called Becoming a Contagious Christian. So oh, sure. so God used me, this guy who didn't know what I didn't know, to now teach people, hey, you know, it's all about relationships. And here's a few nuggets of information that who knows how many thousand people have been led to the Lord because God used me just to go teach some of these courses on evangelism across the country. So that's been one of the huge blessings in my life is, is how God has used us in that manner. Wow. I love that. Okay. So you give your life to Christ, you and your wife, and then you, it sounds like you move. What, so what, and then eventually, you know, you're teaching cause you're, I get the impression of you, Randy, you're like, you're a go-getter. You're an achiever probably. Right. Yeah. Just a and little, you, a little, <laughs> right. Yep. And you, and you, uh, you kind of, I don't know what the, I forget. I had another word in mind, but it's run out of my head, but, but like you're, you go after things. So what were, what was like some of your, um, path to, from there to teaching from there to like, were there some other inflection points where, you learned something about the Lord. You learned something about the way of Jesus. You had maybe some other mentors that really spoke to you. Yeah. There's, I, I, I wasn't sure how we were going to get to this point, but your question's excellent because, because here I was, I was on the unregulated side of Excel. And actually I was part of the team that put together Excel energy. It was Northern, Northern States power out of Minneapolis and Colorado public service uh-huh. out of Denver that we merged. And I was part oh, okay. of the team 
I was part of that team that put together what is today Excel Energy, and I was a vice president running a $130 million business unit with eight offices across the U.S. and 400 people on my team. So wow. I had I had everything that the American culture said I should have. We had airplane, you know, we had a big house, had an airplane in the hangar because I have a pilot's license. So I got to fly uh, around the upper Midwest a lot doing my job. That's fun. And, and then, um, you know, we, we had a country club membership by the numerous eighties every two years, we were rocking and rolling and God used a book by Lloyd Reeb, one of, one of Bob Buford's mentors, um, or one Bob Buford was Lloyd's mentor. And Lloyd's book is, is called from success to significance. And yeah. And Lloyd and I have subsequently became good friends. And he asked in that book, he said, five years after you die, what will you be remembered for? Five years after you die, what will you be remembered for? So here we were just rocking and rolling. And that book caused me to really pause and say, I got nothing. You know, I've got all these assets, got the income, got, you know, a lot of achievements. But there was absolutely nothing because at the same time, in that same era, my wife owned a destination wedding and high-end honeymoon travel business. So, so she was one of the top reps selling into the Caribbean. And so we'd land the beaches in the Caribbean. Now we're new believers, right? It would, life is just yeah. rocking and rolling. We'd land the beaches in the Caribbean and we say, you know what, God, maybe this next season in life, you'll, you'll give us a, a way to serve you or a ministry in the Caribbean. Well, lesson learned is be specific on your prayers because, <laughs> because we were thinking Turks and Caicos, the Bahamas, <laughs> St. Lucia. So, so my son who by that time was, was about 14 years old, 15 years old from my second marriage. Uh, he was, he was hang, hanging out with the wrong people, I'll just say. And so he came to live with me, with us. And so Pat, my wife, was the evil, evil stepmom. And a couple of my business partners, former business partners, said, why don't you take him to Haiti? And I said, why would anybody in their right mind go to Haiti? So yeah. in January of 2006, for the first time I went to Haiti, and by the way, the other side note there is, is, Joel didn't go because two weeks before we we went, he broke his leg snowboarding, and oh, we were no. supposed to fly out at Friday at noon. And on that Wednesday, I called the pastor who was leading the trip, and I said, "You know what, Mike? I'm not going. I paid all the expenses, everything. I was going for Joel, not for me. I'm I'm not going." And so he said, "Well, whatever." He said, "I I think that's a mistake, but it's your call." Called me back the next day. Said, "Hey, Randy, two other guys have dropped out. I know you're not working full time now. I know you've got the time. I think you should go." So I went to Haiti. Okay, I was I was horrible when missionaries would come to the churches we attended because I was that guy who said, "You don't have to go halfway around the world to find a problem. We got plenty of problems in our own backyard." I was that guy. <laughs> okay. Well. The second day I'm on the ground in Haiti, God speaks to me. And it wasn't a booming voice, no bolt of lightning, no burning bush, but God spoke to me. So that night during our prayer time, I asked the other guys, I said, okay, I think, I think Satan's talking to me uh, because he's saying, you know, you should, you should consider doing some ministry in Haiti. And I'm, and I'm saying, why would anybody in their right mind consider doing that? So they prayed over me. And the third day we're on the ground, I could still take you to the road exactly where God spoke to me the second day in a row. He said, he said, Randy, he said, I've taught you how to raise money. I've taught you how to manage companies. I've taught you how to do revenue. You know, you grew up on a farm. You, I'm telling you, you need to serve in Haiti. And I thought there is no way, you know, first of all, I had left the corporate world, so people thought I'd started drinking again. <laughs> you know, why would anybody walk away from the corporate world? Um, now I'm going to Haiti, and it was it was so evident in my mind 
but I didn't know how to interpret it. Okay. God was speaking to me, but I didn't know how to interpret. So I went back three more times in the next four months because my wife was saying, this is a bad idea. Why are you even thinking about it? Who in their right mind would even go to Haiti? So I went three more times in the next four months. During that fourth trip, the Haitian pastor I was with, we met with the prime minister, Prime Minister Alexei, long meeting. At the end of the two-hour meeting, he says, gentlemen, if you remember nothing else from this meeting, just know this. Every day that schools are open in Haiti, there's 500,000 school-aged children not in school. So I questioned him. Oh, wow. I, I, I said, Prime Minister Alexei, I think I heard you wrong. And what I was really saying is your English is probably not very good. I didn't say that. Um, yeah. I said, did you mean to say there's 5,000 or maybe 50,000 kids not in school? And he looked right at me. He said, Mr. Mortensen, my English is good enough. There's, there's a half a million school-aged children not in school. So that broke my heart. I was never a good student, but it, it just being there, I fell in love with the people, fell in love with the children, and finally convinced my bride to go back in October of 06. For the last 16 years, God has had us leading a ministry in Haiti where we now today have 1,500 school-aged children in, in our K-12 through schools. We've helped start 135 wow. businesses. We've taken the U.S. home builders down to teach our guys how to build homes, almost U.S. standards. We we have a medical center. I mean, I could go on and on about Haiti, but that was the path that God had for me that I I would have said you're smoking dope if you would have told me you know 20 years ago we'd be doing what we've been doing for the last 16 now 17 years in Haiti. So, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Just because you listened, right? Just because you said, okay. And, well, what, what, I, like, what I like to say too, Eric, is first you have to be willing and then you need to be obedient. It's the obedience that's the tough part. Wow. And so God's, God, I mean, I, 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 one of the greatest compliments anybody will ever give me is the day they call me an American Haitian. That's my goal. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, I get that. It's the obedience. That's the hard part. Amen, my friend. Amen. Um, okay. So how did you stop? Tell me the story about stopping drinking. Then. Oh, that's an easier story, actually. Um, okay. So, so I ran to Las Vegas because my brother was there. I went through the first, my second divorce and I'm meeting this beautiful woman. I, I, I owned a business in the Midwest in the floor covering industry. So started there. I also owned a commercial kitchen cleaning business where we had 1,300 restaurants under contract in seven states. Um, some in the West Coast, most in the Midwest. So I'm coming back. We had been married nine months. And I'm flying back from Omaha on America West. At that time, it was all the booze you could drink for free. Uh, on America West flights, but there was a connection in, in Phoenix. And so I went into the airline club, drank more beer, or booze, beer and, and scotch. And so I'm just hammered. And now I'm on the plane from Vegas, from Phoenix to Vegas, and we're probably at 20 some thousand feet. I was in row one because then I always got a drink before anybody else did. Sucked it up with the flight attendants, right? And... Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I realized, hold it, I was supposed to do this one project before, before I got home because my wife and I were running these businesses and, and I thought, okay, I got to do this. And so I open up my briefcase as be, you know, before laptops, I open up my briefcase in my briefcase. I have three bottles of airline scotch on my tray table. I have two bottles and then and there, I said, enough. I'm done. I got to quit. I'm going to, I've ruined two marriages. I'm going to ruin my third. And I walk off the airplane pre 9 11. And I said to my wife, I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to quit. She said, you know what? I've only known you about a year, but I've heard you say that thousands of times. You're drunk. Just shut up, you know? And so my brother lived there, went, went to my brother's house because I knew I had to tell somebody else. 
and my brother's five years younger than I am. Executive went on to become, you know, executive with, with MasterCard at Capital One and on the international board of directors for MasterCard. And, wow. and I go into his house and he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I'm going to quit drinking. He said, yeah, whatever. You're drunk. I've heard you say that. He, I said, no, I'm serious. I mean it. He put his finger in my chest, gives me goosebumps still to this day. He said, what has taken you so long? And he said, do you know how much damage you've caused? Not only to yourself, but in families and, and so on. And then it just, you know, I spent the next nine days calling Betty Ford, calling Hazleton, calling treatment programs all across the United States. And and because I was only going to do it once, ended up in Utah in a, in a drug and alcohol treatment program for 28 days, uh, September 24th in 1990. And I I didn't think it would last. You know, the average the average relapse rate for people coming out of residential programs first time is seven out of eight relapse in the first six months after getting out. <clears throat> I know why God took me to, to Las Vegas to get sober is because I can go to AA meetings 24 hours, almost 24 hours a day. So oh, wow. there were, there were days I would go to four or five, six AA meetings a day just to not really? drink. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the story. And, and then, and then um, we sold the operation on the West Coast. That's how we got back to the Midwest and then uh, sold those businesses and then went into the utility world. And then God just opened up more doors for me at a very fast growing church in, in northern Minneapolis, northern Twin Cities Metro. And so on St. Patrick's Day of 2005, we actually launched a faith-based recovery program called Quest 180 at that church of a thousand people. We would get wow. 250 to 300 people to show up every Thursday night, see what the Bible had to say about being clean and sober. That that ministry today is now operating in a church that has 12 campuses across Minnesota with 30,000 people on a weekend. Quest 180 is a ministry that's now at six or seven of those campuses. We've served 24,000 people since 2005 in, in that faith-based recovery program. So God's just used me in so many different ways, you know, just yeah. to, to do the outreach. Um, and we serve moms and dads, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. And like we were saying earlier, the mind-boggling thing for me is the influence of pornography now in mm -hmm. you know in our recovery rooms. Seventy percent, maybe eighty percent, are guys that are there struggling with pornography or sex addiction. Totally changed over the last few years because of the accessibility that the internet has brought about. Right. Yeah, it's a whole different, whole different world, as we said. Definitely. Um, interesting. Okay. So uh, first of all, it's kind of amazing. I was kind of curious, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? I have a reason for asking that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, one is prophecy. Um, and another one is education. I, 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 I use the spiritual, I use the, uh, the, not the Gallup. I, I forget which spiritual gifts test that I use, but, yeah, yeah. um, I do a, I do a weekend men's retreat twice a year, once in the Midwest and the other time here in Florida. It's called the Lifestyle Champion, um, Lifestyle Champion Weekend for Men. And so I have them go through the spiritual gifts assessment. Mm. And my my eight-week cohort that I that I do for men that are struggling with compulsive and destructive behaviors. I actually do a spiritual gifts assessment because that that eight week program has three phases. First of all, we evaluate. Second is we equip. And then third, we actually show you how to enjoy this new life that you have. Yeah. So, so that's uh, I, that. It's great. I love that. So the the reason I ask is because I I think you're in a, a modern day apostle, right? Like, so you you start things. 
you do you do new things and and you whatever it is, then God just blesses it because that's that's what you do. My guess is you probably don't run hands on everything, right? You you then you get it going and then you pass it off and somebody else maintains it. Yeah, it's one it's one of the struggles that I have is saying no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is a pro- that is a weakness of mine. There's no question. Well, well, it's okay, but I think that's. I think that's part of the, I mean, also you're from the Midwest. We all struggle saying no, right? That's part of being <laughs> from the Midwest. <laughs> but I think that's part of being also an apostle is like we, you see the possibilities everywhere, right? Right. Right. Well, and, in in you know, so, so in normal times I'll speak 30, you know, 30 to 40 times a year to corporate audiences because of my background of finance and energy. And then I uh-huh. also speak to the medical communities and my message is crushing the stigma. And there's mm. so much stigma that exists in our workplaces, in our faith communities. There were in 2021, there were more than 107,000 overdose deaths in the United States. That's 295 per day. Okay. In this yeah. great country. Who knows those stats? Very few people because of of the stigma. The suicide rate amongst pastors the last two years is the highest it's been in history. Okay. And and so so it's the challenges that we have with mental wellness. It's it's not only the substance abuse and the pornography, it's the eating disorders, but but bottom line, it's really the mental health of, of our citizens and and I just, I want to plant the seeds in the church because if not me, then who, if not you, then mm-hmm. who, right? It's our neighbors. And, and, you know, we've abdicated so much responsibility for housing, for clothing, for food to the government. When in reality, it's, it's the role of us as, as Christ followers to serve our neighbors. And, and those that are struggling with mental health, we need to serve them, not judge them, and not ridicule them, and love on them. And that's where you know that's why I'm so passionate about about the mm. faith based recovery world. Um, you know, because God has truly transformed me, and and I love that you said apostle. It, it you know i I just want i I just want that day, whenever it is, for God to say, "Well done." You know, not to yeah. say, "Well, if you would have just done this <laughs> or that." Um, and I know that's that's not it. In that was a major struggle that I had in my early days of recovery because I really felt God had, was punishing me, and and I had a hard time admitting my wrongdoings. And I had a I had a sponsor the fifth time I worked through the steps, and he said, Randy, he said. What else is there that you're you're not saying for in the fourth step you do your inventory in the fifth step you confess it to God and another human being. So what else is there? And I said, Well, there's some things of it. He said, No, whatever that secret is, it's in the darkest, deepest place in that closet in your mind. You need to say it because do you think God doesn't already know? Mm, that right. was the day of freedom for me. It really was. And I've used that many, many times with other guys and gals that are battling just to, that it's those very words. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that takes us back to your, in your words, the stigma, right? Cause I think we have, it's certainly in the American evangelical church, which is where I grew up and, you know, all my experiences are in uh, religiously we don't, we we're really good at pretending we put on, I, I said during COVID, like, it's funny that everybody churches are mad about wearing masks because we've been wearing them for years, right? Like you can't tell me that we don't avoid certain topics. And maybe I don't think that's just something I picked up. I think that's, that's uh, endemic within the, within the, our communities. Well, and in, those one out of four Americans are either struggling with a compulsive and destructive behavior or one of their close loved ones, a, a mom or a dad or a, a husband, wife, a father. Or I mean, yeah, father, a mom. So one out of every four Americans are struggling. 
Why yeah. is there such a stigma? You know, when I was in the corporate world, I would, you know, people would come knock on my door and they'd say, hey, Randy, do you have a minute? And they would, they trusted me enough and I didn't have a Bible on my desk, but they knew that I was a faith, faith-filled leader. And they would, they would come in and they'd talk about, you know, the guy, had, his wife had had an affair or the wife would come in and say, you know, my husband got picked up for a drunk driving last night or whatever it was. Mm. They trusted me, right? They couldn't go to HR because then that note would be in their, excuse me, in their file. And right. They wouldn't get that next promotion. Our churches, sadly enough, are just the same. If somebody's diagnosed with breast cancer, what do they do? They rally around them. If somebody gets picked picked up for a drunk driving or they think they should go to treatment, what do they do? They say, well, why don't you just stop? Right? You can't do that. Yeah. It's an illness. It's an right. illness. Yeah. And you can't just take a pill and be better. Um, so yeah, it takes a lot of work, right. And it takes a lot of personal work and that requires a willingness to show up for it. And that is, is tough. And so, and many of our churches were just still pretending like everything is okay. And that's a problem. Um, but it's hard. I'm not gonna, I'm so friends. Here's my challenge to you. If you would, if maybe the Lord's saying something to you, if you feel that little nudge, maybe it's time, maybe it's time for you to make a confession, make a, make a, take a step, go to a meeting, talk to a pastor, talk to somebody like Randy, that, that may be uh, uh, the thing that you need to do. Um, okay. Randy, so tell us about your podcast and kind of how you're encouraging people in, in your show. Well, and, and I'll, I'll just make it simple for that listener who's, who's got some questions. You can just text champion to six, six, eight, six, six. Text champion to 66866, or you can call my office, which is 321-757-HOPE. And I'm more than happy to make some connections to others that can say, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. Here's the path that God has taken me down, and here's who I am today, basically. So um, in my my website's randymortensen.com. That's Randy, last name Mortensen, M-O-R-T-E-N-S-E-N verydanish.com. Uh, you can get more information. There's actually a 21 question assessment on the front page of, of my website that will help you or a loved one determine whether they're struggling with a mild, moderate, or severe case of substance abuse, basically. Mm. Okay. Courageous Recovery Podcast. I just did episode 134, I believe, wow, that's of, awesome. a week, of a weekly podcast. Um, so I've been doing it two and Good a half years. Closing in on three years. To this day, I don't know why I started it, um, but it was a couple of buddies that said, you should really do a podcast. <laughs> so what what I'm blown away by, Eric, and you, you, you've probably heard many people say this, the number of people that I've met, like yourself, the, the number of people that I've connected with literally around the globe, um, I would have never done without the podcast. And, and yeah. so, you know, God has really used it. Am I getting the thousands of, of downloads and listeners that I was expecting? No, but I've got a network of, of, of listeners in 36 countries now that have tuned into the podcast. It's like, what, <laughs> you know, how's that possible? Right? So, so it's really, it's really all about 25 to 30 minutes of, you know, having a wife on that's gone through the struggle with a husband or having, you know, that that guy that's that's just really struggled to stay clean and sober. One of my good friends, it took him 14 treatment programs to get clean, to get sober. Wow. Right. But that's he didn't dedication quit. right there. He didn't yeah. quit. He didn't die. You know, God has yeah. a different plan for him. So so that's that's what that's the why between behind the podcast. Um, and it, it's. You can tell I, I I just love saving lives. I love introducing people to the Lord. I love you know being able to say you know what all the garbage that I've gone through. If God can save and redeem me, He can save and redeem you, right? And so yeah. I, I I just love being able to serve on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. 
Uh, absolutely. Friends, I'm going to take the opportunity just to talk about podcasting because all the things that you mentioned, Randy, are so amazing. It is a little bit of a slow growth medium for sure. It takes a little while. Discoverability is still something people are trying to solve, but it is really unbelievable because when, when you're part of a podcast community, um, people feel like they know you, right? They feel like they know. And if you think about that, if you ever felt like you knew somebody who you listen to on the radio every day or something like that, it's that same sort of feeling. And it's just more connected, more intimate than uh, anything uh, else that I've found. And then we have these groups where we can get together, maybe, you know, it was through social media or other things. It really is profound. And God's using it, my friends. God's using uh, podcasting to share the gospel in Randy's show and this show and others that, many others that I know around the world every single day. It's astounding. So I'm so glad that you did start a podcast because I know there's a there's a message. And uh, I hope that, friends, if Randy's message resonates with you at all, Maybe that's a great place to start, and you can always go to his website as well. All right, Randy, thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. I feel like I got to know you a little bit. Um, what, <laughs> Anything a, a, a surprise bit, you? <laughs> a little bit more. No, no, I, I, I love just digging into it. You have some amazing stories. You've been through so much, and to come out on the other side of all those things, uh, you know, not, not angry, not bitter, but actually grateful for God and, and what He's done in your life. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a pleasure uh, for me to witness it. So thanks for sharing it with us. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, maybe you're too humble, but the, the Christian Podcasters Association is just another blessing. So I don't know where you got that vision or, or how that all came about, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's connecting like-minded people. And I think mm-hmm. the network will just continue to grow. On, on a regular basis so thank you for for doing that and you know what what I'll, I'll just say to wrap up is is it doesn't matter how dark your day is you know just make 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 that phone call or send that text message or you know don't, don't let the guilt and shame hold you back don't let anger and resentment keep you from being the person that God created you to be and just reach out to somebody you know trust and 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 because there's somebody that, that wants wants to serve you in your deepest, darkest times of need. I love that. There you go, friends. You don't have to live with shame. Uh, that's Jesus can take all that away. And that is a beautiful message. Thanks for being here, Randy. I appreciate it. 